Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. John 13 is also known as the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room, and it's Thursday night, and it's the night of the Last Supper. This is the night that Jesus will be arrested, the night before Jesus dies. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are five chapters crammed into one night. Five chapters in one night. Last time, chapter 13, were you with me last time? If you were with me last time, raise your hand. Not last week, week before. Raise your hand nice and high. Okay, there's a good number of you that weren't actually. Um, John chapter 13, Jesus gave us an example of true humility, remember? And Jesus and his disciples walk into the upper room and their feet are dirty and they get in the room and they take a seat around the triclinium, the three-sided table. And Jesus calmly gets up, walks over, takes a pitcher of water, pours the water into the basin, took off his outer robe, took his belt off, and put a towel around his waist. Jesus kneels down. One by one, he washed the disciples' feet. Remember? Uh, Chapter 1 through 11. Um, If you've missed any of these teachings, I would encourage you. um, I don't know if you know. I should probably remind you that we record all of our teachings here at Calvary Chapel from the pulpit. So if you missed the teaching, you can order it or even sometimes pick it up in the bookstore. It might be on the shelf. Um, But uh, I would encourage you to get Uh, chapter 1, chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, of which we covered the last time. You can pick that up. Uh, Let's get to it. I've titled this sermon, Jesus and Judas. Jesus and Judas. John chapter 13 saints, we pick up in verse 12. If you're looking at verse 12, say amen. Amen. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he had taken his garments, and he sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do what, saints? Wash one another's feet. Y'all reading the same Bible I am? Uh Uh-huh. You ought to do what? Wash one another's feet. Thank you, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things in verse 17, blessed are you if you do them, do them. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. When Jesus finished washing the feet of the disciples, he put on his garments and he reclines at the table. And he said, do you know what I have done? Do you see what I'm doing? The disciples, if I know them like I know them, they're probably saying, oh, yes, we do, when in fact they don't. 
Okay, they're going, yeah, we know what you're doing, when they don't know what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's teaching them to serve each other in humility. Remember, these things are an example. And think about this. Jesus is higher than us, higher in rank, higher in standing. And by the world standards, he should be served. Instead, notice in our text, Jesus contradicts the ordinary standards and he serves. From his height, he goes low. From his high standing, he goes to serving. Look at verse 15. Then he said in verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Jesus is saying, follow me. Do what I do. Why? Because verse 16, look at that. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is teaching them that they need to operate on the basis of humility. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know this upper room discourse is also found in Luke chapter 22. And in Luke 22, um, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And you know Jesus isn't talking about who's greatest. Jesus wants to know who's humblest. Jesus wants to know if they're willing to love each other and serve each other and walk in humility toward each other. It's interesting that they're willing to fight for the throne, but not for the towel. Hmm. Y'all know what I mean? They're willing to fight for the throne, but not for the towel. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be what? Servant of all. You know that. God's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom or system. The world's system of greatness is how many are serving you. God's kingdom is how many are you serving. The world's system is who can you rule over. The kingdom of God is who can you serve under. You see, it's different. The kingdom system of service is humility, service, and example. Write that down. The kingdom system of service is humility, service, and example. And leadership and authority comes from serving and example. Leadership and authority does not come because you force people to be, you know, subjected to you. It doesn't come like that. It comes by example. Jesus was God, and he could have forced us and made us do anything. No, he came to give us an example that we might know how to follow. And when someone gives you an example, you willingly follow them. The disciples willingly followed Jesus because of his example. They voluntarily obeyed Jesus because he took care of them. Are you listening? He delivered them. He comforted them. He encouraged them. He taught them, taking the time to be with them and serve them. The disciples wanted to follow him, and they wanted to obey him. Because Jesus led by example, he didn't say, do what I say. Jesus said, do what I do. Hmm? No different than your earthly relationships. Your children, you say, you don't say, do what I say. You say, do what I do. You should be a good example before them. Now, don't get me wrong. As a parent, there are times when you have to say, do what I say. Say amen, parents. Even if you're not a parent, say amen. Amen. You got a parent. You're here, ain't you? You got a parent. Sometimes you got to say, do what I say. I'm by myself, I guess, huh? It's okay. I know you're in church, but sometimes you got to say, do what I say. Well, why I got to do it? Because I said so. 
Or my mother would be, well, I got to do it. My mother would say, I bought you in this world. Where y'all at? I take you out. <laughs> you just do it because you better. It's your mom, it's your parents. But example is important. And Jesus came to give us an example. So Jesus says, do what I do, not do what I say. Verse 13 and 14, notice we have the ministry of serving one another. We have the ministry of serving one another. A ministry to help keep each other's spiritual feet clean. That's what we need to be doing. We need to wash each other's feet. Ephesians 5.26, Jesus tells us, Jesus washed us with the washing of water by the word of God. We need to wash people's feet. The disciples, Jesus is teaching them to wash each other's feet. Jesus said in verse 13 and 14, look at it. You call me teacher and Lord and you said it. I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, wash each other's feet. Now, notice I want you to see something here. First of all, I want you to see, and if you're taking notes, you write this down. Jesus is talking about loving service to one another. Galatians 5.13, Paul said, by love, serve one another. Someone once rightly said, serving one another is love at work, love in action. Christianity is more than a creed. It includes deeds. I like that. I'm confident disciples will quickly wash Jesus' feet, but Jesus is teaching them to serve one another and wash each other's feet. And it matters not what place you are in your Christian walk. If you're pastor, elder, deacon, apostle, whatever you call yourself, we're called even in positions of authority to wash the feet of other people. As a matter of fact, even more so if you're in authority, even more so. You should, Jesus was God and he came down to wash feet. He had authority. Somebody say amen. amen. He had authority, but he came and washed feet. Leaders and those in authority are called to serve one another. Jesus was in authority again, and he's telling them to follow his example and to serve, to serve. Also notice in this text, this is an argument, and this is what I want to share with you. This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. In other words, if the greater, the Lord of glory, could humble himself, leave heaven, come to the earth, take on the form of a servant, and gird himself with a towel, and wash dirty feet, then it's only reasonable that the disciples would be able and willing to wash each other's feet. If God is willing to do that, are we greater than God? No. So then we need to be willing to do that. This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't say you're blessed if you know them. Read your Bible. He doesn't say you're blessed if you know them. He says you're blessed if you, what? Do them. Not just learn about it, but do it. Put some feet to your faith. Christianity is very practical. It's a very practical faith. Our faith should be powerfully, strongly, intensely, extremely practical. Simply walk it out. We should walk it out. It's not um, a dead faith. Our faith is a practical faith. James chapter 2 tells us just that. James 2, 
14 through 17. It's on the screen for you. Y'all come on and read it with me. And I need you to read it, read it like you mean it. Come on. What does it profit a bro- my brethren if someone says, come on, read. Can faith save him? And what you say? What does it profit? That's all. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we're to walk out our faith. Somebody say amen. We are to do these things and walk in humility. That's these things. I was preparing this sermon. I was thinking about humility. And this is a great verse that I think I learned this verse very early in my Christianity. Um, of course, that's 31 years ago now. And... Um, but it's a beautiful verse. It's in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And come on, I need y'all to read this for me. He has shown you, O oh man. Come on, everybody read. Come on. He has shown you, oh man. There you go. Good. And what does the Lord require you? But to do justly. And to walk humbly with your God. Love that verse. We actually, years ago, honey, I'm glad you're in the service. You remember we used to sing that song? He has shown thee. You're doing the echo part. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what is good and what the Lord requires of thee but to do justly. You got to do the lady part. But to do justly. <laughs> and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. See, when you take verses like that and you put them with music, they're easy to learn, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful verse? It's just a good verse. I'm waiting while you clap. That's fine. The Lord is good. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to... Some people said to me, I don't know what I should be doing as a Christian. Well, here's what you should be doing as a Christian. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. If you do those things, you'll be good. I need more than four people to say amen. amen. To do justly, you got a pen? To do justly means to act toward God according to God's word. To love mercy means to show compassion toward man. And to walk humbly with your God means living in humility before God and your brothers. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Come on, y'all, say it with me. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8, beautiful memory verse. Jesus said, if you do what I have done, blessed or happy are you. In other words, if you serve one another, you'll be happy. If you serve yourself, you'll be sad. Isn't that true? When you kind of get caught up in yourself and what you need and what is all about you, There's nothing fulfilling in that. You're sad. But if you serve other people and you serve the Lord, you'll be happy. Happy are you when you demonstrate humility. Happy are you when you're willing to do the work that nobody else wants to do. Happy are you when you don't care about exalting yourself and getting the credit. Happy are you when you walk humbly before your God and man. While John is thinking about happy, he thinks of the contrast or the difference, or the other side of happy. What do I mean? I'll show you. Look at verse 18. If you're looking at verse 18, chapter 13, say amen. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, Jesus said, but 
that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Well, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was, a, there was leaning on his bosom, Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to this one laying on Jesus' chest to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, is it I? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to who, saints? Judas Iscariot, and who's he the son of? Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. You see that? Stop right there. Give me your attention. I told you, uh, not last week, week before, we were in 13, John 13. I told you that John is approximately 90 years old at this point as he writes this gospel. And John is remembering the night that they all sat around the triclinium or the table. Now, tell me, and they're around the table to celebrate the Last Supper or the Passover. And this is the Last Supper. Um, tell me, you guys tell me, just yell, yell it out. Who painted the beautiful portrait of the Last Supper? What's his name? Leonardo who? Da Vinci. Amen. You know, first service, I said Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean Da Vinci. <laughs> da Vinci. I actually made that mistake yesterday. I'm typing and I'm like, Leonardo DiCaprio. I keep saying DiCaprio because the D is the same. Leonardo Da Vinci DiCaprio. Anyways, um, so I have a picture of that. I'm going to show you some things here. Look at this. Uh, Beautiful picture. I want to tell you something before we get going. This picture is not a biblical picture. In other words, he didn't paint this picture from, you know, verse by verse text. What he did was he read the Bible, the text, and then painted the picture as he would see it and even inserted some ideas of his own mind and his own thoughts, and he painted that. So it's not a biblical picture per se, but it's one man's uh, perspective or perception of the Last Supper. So on your left, you'll notice on the left, you have Bartholomew, Philip, James, the son of Alphaeus, Andrew, Peter, and Judas. Judas is sitting right next to Jesus. Judas is the, is the one with his elbow on the table. He's the only one leaning on the table. You'll notice that. Uh, Jesus is at the center. On the right, John is sitting next to Jesus, right next to him. So Judas is on the left. John is on the right. How do we know that? Because if you look at verse 25, we just read it. John puts his head on Jesus' chest. 
So we have John on the right, Thomas, James the Greater, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, and Jude. Um, If you'll notice, Judas, notice, look at him carefully. He's kind of recoiling, if you will. He's sitting at the table. Y'all see that? And he's kind of recoiling or pulling back. And I think the reason why is because he knew Jesus knew his plan. He's holding 30 pieces of silver tight. He's the only person with the elbow on the table. As I said, Da Vinci depicted Judas. Now, you might not be able to see this from where you're sitting, but if you examine the picture closely, there's some, it's an item. Some say it's a salt shaker or what they in that day would call a salt um, cellar, a salt cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R. And Judas is spilling that, if you will. It's kind of laying on the table as to say he was chosen to be the salt of the earth, but rubbed salt in the Savior's wound. Not only is Judas holding the money tight, but he's also holding a secret tight that only Jesus knows and that he is a betrayer. So thank you. You can take that picture down. Look at verse 18. So they are, they are seated at the table. Look at verse 18 in your Bibles. They're seated at the table and Jesus says, I don't speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Judas is a betrayer. And maybe the disciples think Jesus blew it when he chose him. Now, how many of you know Jesus is never unaware or ignorant? Amen. Amen. And Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. I did it. It wasn't an accident. Jesus knows what is coming, describes what is coming, and performs what is coming according to the purpose of God. He says, in order that the scripture, look at verse 18, in order that the scripture may be fulfilled. In your margins of your Bibles, you can write Psalm 41.9. Psalm 41, 9, and it reads this, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41, 9 is David talking about a relationship that he had with Ahithophel. Ahithophel was his counselor, and David's son Absalom rebelled and tried to overthrow his dad and take the throne And Ahithophel, watch this, turned against David as well and joined Absalom's rebellion. So Jesus takes this story and applies it to Judas of someone who had a close relationship with someone and yet they betrayed him. You get that? So he quotes Psalm 41.9 to make that point. Now, I think we would all agree that there's nothing worse being betrayed by a family member or a friend. Isn't that true? Nothing worse, nothing more painful, let me say that, than a family member or a friend or a husband or a wife or your children. Betrayal is awful. And there's nothing worse than it. Listen to this story I heard, and I think this is, makes the point well. March 44 B.C., Julius Caesar was assassinated by Marcus Junius Brutus on the Ides. Caesar trusted Brutus and considered him as a son. According to Roman historians, Caesar at first resisted the onslaught of the assassins. But when he saw Brutus among them with a dagger drawn, Caesar ceased the struggle. And while pulling the top part of his robe over his face, he asked the question, Et tu, Brute? Et tu, Brute? That's Latin for... And you too, Brutus? And you too, Brutus? 
There's nothing like when a family member or a close friend betrays you or someone you trusted, somebody that you've been a blessing to them in their life. When they betray you, it hurts. I know you don't want to say amen, but say it. Amen. Because it does hurt. There's nothing worse than that. And so the relationship between Jesus and Judas. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus did not want Judas, Judas to perish. He did not. He loved him. He loved him to the end. He loved him to the end. We'll get to it in just a second. But he loved him to the end. In verse 18, go ahead and look at it again. Verse 18 says, um, he who eats bread with me, note this, has lifted up his heel against me. You see that? Now, the lifting up of your heel is a word picture for a friend who, without warning, without provocation, turns around and kicks you in the face. Jesus loves Judas, as I said, and his betrayal hurts. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.